Here's the big question this show answers. How do we leverage technology and human science to positively impact our personal and professional life? The tech human experience has the answer. Here's your host, Inc. 5000 tech founder, neuroscience junkie, and Navy SEAL wannabe, Javier Guerra. Hello, my fellow tech humans. Today's guest is the Senior Vice President and Chief Information Security Officer of Jefferson Bank. With over 20 years of experience in information and network security, he is a leader who works hard at motivating teams to reach ambitious goals. Please welcome Roman Medina. Appreciate your time today, Roman. Thank you, Javier. So it's great to be here. Yeah, always good talking with you for sure. So let, let's start off with an important stat that, you know, in a recent study found that less than 50% of Americans use two-factor authentication for their personal online accounts. As I read that, what, what comes up for you? Uh, you know, for, for me, it's, it's, uh, uh, you know, it's quite concerning, of course, working for a financial institution and, and leading the cybersecurity information security program. Uh, you know, those are those are still whether you you think username and password or where the state of authentication is at. That's still the main way to access some of your your financial accounts online and perform financial activities. So, uh, yeah, it's a very, very concerning uh, stat there uh, in today's threat landscape about, you know, not enforcing two factor authentication, or multi-factor authentication. Yeah, it, it's it's kind of crazy, right? I mean, it, unless you're living under a rock, it, it's the the fact that fifty percent of Americans don't use it. Um, I, I, you know, I, I'm I'm very surprised by that. I'm almost wondering if it's like like people don't care, or there's just like lack of like knowledge around it, right? I mean, you know, us being in the technical space, like we're hyper aware of this stuff, but but I'm, I guess I've kind of lost touch with just like the general population that doesn't. <laughs> really you know think about technology as much as we do but it just seems to me like that's like after everything that's been going on in the news and the world and everything that it would not be that high it, it's it's crazy yes that, that it's that high yes and I, and I think as as the generations you know start aging into more into the workforce and and conducting yeah. more of their lives they conduct everything online nowadays but I, I think that might be you know leading to some of that gap and, and I think some of it is is also, uh, you know, kind of responsibility of being good stewards of these organizations or financial institutions to enforce two-factor authentication, multi-factor authentication, pr providing that awareness. You know, with our any of our customer-facing uh, online banking applications, we do require uh, nice. multi-factor. Uh, we call it a secure access code. Uh, it's a text message that goes to their registered mobile device or a phone call. Uh, some of our more higher risk type of customers and maybe business banking customers that we call our treasury management customers. Uh, they also have a soft token. So it's a virtual soft token that they have to use mm. not only to log into their online banking as being their primary means of, of getting access, but as they perform certain activities in their online banking sessions, if they're creating a wire transfer, if they're doing an ACH transfer, uh, they will be required to authenticate again using that two-factor authentication just to prove who they are. You know, it's always a layered defense. They get through one gate, you know, per, per, perhaps we provide another hurdle to stop the fraudsters, you know, later down their 
their means of whatever they're trying to do in the, the that financial transaction. Yeah, the fraudsters. I like that too. <laughs> yes. <laughs> okay. So uh yeah, no, that's it, it's just it's still kind of mind boggling that it's good that you guys do that, right? Yes. Especially with the type of information you guys are handling, right? That you you make it a requirement <laughs> because there could be, of course, some savvy, unsavvy, untech savvy customers that, you know, don't use it, right? So it's almost like Correct. you have to make it a requirement. Okay, so let's dive into today's topic. The Agile Approach to Cybersecurity, Adapting to an Ever-Changing Landscape. In today's episode, we'll discuss the fast-paced nature of cybersecurity. We'll dig into the importance of staying aware of the latest threats, technologies, and end-user behaviors. So, so Roman, you know, be, serving in the capacity that you serve... Right. Like what are some of the key elements you're incorporating as as you update your IT and cybersecurity risk management programs? Yes. So it it is it is so ever quickly evolving and changing. I've been with Jefferson Bank gonna be 10 years in February. And nice. I've changed my strategy, my approach numerous times. I've even changed it within a matter of months, depending on what is going on in the landscape, what 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 type of skill sets and resources we have within our own team. Uh, <clears throat> and like you mentioned, um, in our risk management, IT cybersecurity risk management area, mm-hmm. about two years ago, we, we said, you know, we needed to focus more in providing effective risk management. Uh, we use a lot of third parties. We rely on a lot of partners to get things done in our banking functions. So, well, you know, one area that we did is we we hired a cyber risk analyst, and this person is going to be solely dedicated to staying ahead of the risk, <clears throat> whether that's risk research, performing risk management, third party risk management, security awareness training. There is there are enough job duties and responsibilities for this individual to take forth and carry forward. And so one of the things we're going to do is we we've always had a risk management program. And it's tailored with what our regulators expect us to do. Mm-hmm. And, you know, this year I'm, I'm going through totally revamping that process <clears throat> in what we do. So we're in the process of defining what that's going to mean or what that's going to look like. But that's that's a big part of how we try to stay ahead of the threats and risks. Nice. So like you said, it's ch- it's changing. Like the world is changing at a rapid pace. The economy is changing. Uh, technology is changing. And so, so with all this change, uh, it's it's challenging to stay ahead of this, right? I, I completely understand that, right? Especially in a, in a role like yours, uh, because of the cyber threat landscape is, is just so dynamic. Um, if, if somebody was in, you know, say, your, your shoes from a financial institution, um, do you, do you see that different in any way, like specifically to banking that is maybe different from healthcare or different from some other industry, right? Like, is there, is there any particular nuance that's coming to mind right now of like some of those elements that you're having to incorporate specifically for a financial institution? Uh, yes. You know, I think, I think cybersecurity information security will look very different across different verticals and different mm-hmm. industries. Uh, you know, quickly what comes to mind, um, 
banks, financial institutions have been heavy, heavily regulated for years, for, for a number of years. Yeah. Some of these other air industries take a healthcare or critical infrastructure like utility uh, to, uh, type of uh, organization has regulations. They might be more privacy focused and not necessarily from a technical security standpoint mm-hmm. uh, per se, but uh, you know, quickly what comes to mind is ransomware. You know, we see a lot of yeah. municipalities, uh, 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 school districts, uh, those types of organizations being attacked with ransomware because they they know that certain in- other industries are probably more mature mm-hmm. in their controls and their backups and their ways to prevent or detect ransomware. So they mm-hmm. do often try to find that that vertical where they would pr- probably be successful in carrying out a ransomware attack. So that's just one example of how it'd be different at an FI. Not not that we're not concerned with ransomware, yeah, but yeah. we've had many years of uh, establishing those controls and procedures that if a threat like ransomware comes up, we feel, feel pretty confident that we could protect and defend against that. Yeah. Yeah. That's good. I mean, it's a, it's a, it's a closely, I mean, it's, it's pretty much all about money on these threats are, are coming at organizations or people in general, but you guys yes. are like handling money, right? So it's very close to the, the pot of gold, so to speak. <laughs> yes. Uh, yeah. So, so how are you working really to, to, to make risk assessments more objective and meaningful in your organization or in your team, your organization? Yeah, you know, this this has been one area that, that I've kind of really struggled with, but um, hopefully my approach may not seem too radical or, uh, you know, everyone everyone is used to a risk management process where you identify your threats or your risks. You have a formula where you take the likelihood and impact into consideration and likelihood and impact will result with your inherent risk. And that could be a score. That could be a three-point scale score, small, medium, uh, high. It could be a five-point scale, right? Who, who knows however approach you want to take. Um, and, you know, I think, I think we sometimes get a little stuck in the weeds of, is it really a likelihood of four versus a three and a half? You know, why, why are we going to focus on that tiny detail? And, uh, you know, I'm, I'm hoping to establish some sort of process where it's just, is it a threat or risk that we care about? Yes or no. You know, trying to make it as binary and, and open closed as we can. Do we care about it? Yes. Then let's ensure that we have the proper controls to arrive at a residual risk of, are we doing enough? Yes or no. You know, let, let's not get caught up, caught up in the formulas or the methodology or the framework of it all. Um, and I think it takes out some of that objectivity, right? Someone may think risk A is way higher than risk B, you know, type of thing. So uh, I'm hoping that'll be a way for us to really focus on what is the true risk for certain areas. You know, one other thing that I want to do is like, like we said, follow the money and all that is really, uh, it is hard to come up with a, a, a uh, quantified risk management approach in cybersecurity, information security, we can try to determine what a breach would cost us, but you know, you're always going to get in the millions of dollars. So, you know, I want to look at our financial statements, our income statements, what are, what are those lines of business that are the highest profit earning for the bank? And Mm. if something were to happen in one of those lines of business, you know, that those customers 
the technology that they use, then that'll have a significant impact on our bank. So I'm trying to identify those higher higher impact areas based on dollars or profit value, right? And I, I know I can't always focus on the dollars, right? You know, we mentioned follow the money and the dollars of it, at, <clears throat> dollars of it all, but, um, you know, it could be a line of business that's not very profitable, but they have very sensitive data. You know, they may have access to, um, uh, you know, how, how fraud, how our fraud prevention systems work, you know, or how, how our ATMs work, or, or they may have access just to social security numbers, driver's license, secure access code, pins, whatever the case may be. Yeah. So, so we also going to try to get down to, you know, what are those high profit areas? They would have the biggest impact. Something happened. What are those areas that have a lot of sensitive private data that we have to ensure is always protected you know, type of thing. Yeah. So hopefully just, just by, uh, you know, approaching it, that aspect, and we can't, we can't identify every risk, you know, everything, everything's going to have some risk out there. So I think if we focus on those two areas, we would probably mitigate our top, you know, concerning risks for the bank and whatever control we apply for one business area, you know, why couldn't it work across the enterprise? It's bound to help, help the rest of the enterprise as well. So I'm hoping that might be a, a better way of tackling risk assessments and risk management uh, here within the bank. And then hopefully our business areas won't, uh, don't see it as such a burden, you know, such a paper-based exercise or compliance checkmark type of thing. Yeah. 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 I, I think it's, uh, you know, it's the perception, right? Everybody's different. And even, you know, we, we work with a lot of security professionals in, in, you know, at a high level, even at the C level there, the way that it's almost like the way that they handle their areas some things could be just that checkbox, right? That compliance checkbox, right? We're going to come in, we're going to get audited. Let's just check the box. Whereas others, I think, are a little bit more strategic, right? And, and they're they're really digging into how do we incorporate a lot of the human element and and systems and other departments, right? And how do we collaborate from a cyber culture? What we call, you know, some some of the things we help we call cyber culture, right? But that we really believe that that needs to bleed through the entire organization because. You know, if IT is only handling it or, or, you know, the cyber area is only handling it, well, they're going to be much more savvy than some other department that doesn't really touch technology as much, right? And so they may be more of a target to be able to infiltrate the organization or data, right? So it, it's it's interesting. And you've kind of already touched on that that strategy a little bit. But can you, can you think of anything else that you could add maybe that would to, to kind of ensure that that risk management is deeply embedded into the organization, right? Not just checking those boxes. Yes. Yes. Yeah. So one, one other, one other big focus or big priority for myself in, in this new risk, cybersecurity risk management process that we're going to do is uh, those, those um, higher profit business areas, uh, lines mm -hmm. of business, you know, we're, we're going to put them on a schedule and we're going to have, yeah. you know, face-to-face -face meetings, I'm not going to call it a risk assessment or risk management. I'm just going to call it a cyber risk meeting. And in those meetings, we'll discuss, yeah. uh, uh, you know, what, tell me about your, your line of business. What, what technology are you using? Um, uh, what type of customers, what type of data do you have? Trying to make it a conversation, you know, and asking mm -hmm. them and then just flat out asking them, you know, what do you, what do you think are your, you know, what is your top cyber information security risk? You know, and try to get, 
get into their, how they're thinking, you know, like you mentioned security culture, you know, what does, what does security mean to that person? I know what security means to me, but it could be slightly different for that individual that's on the business side. So in these cyber risk meetings, you know, we'll talk about, uh, you know, me and my team will go prepared with what, what are those threats and risks that are pretty well known right now that's affecting their line of business. And, and we'll bring it up during that discussion. Have, have you heard of this? Have you thought of that? How would that impact your area? Uh, you know, and then ending that meeting with just asking them if there's one thing that you needed from InfoSec, from information, information security, what is that thing that you need that would make your job better, make your work life better? How can we help you? And uh, I'm very curious to see what that what that one thing is for that business area. And then me and my team will make it a priority for that that one thing that they mentioned, whether it's uh, as simple as, you know, I wish our web filter didn't block a certain category of websites or, mm-hmm. uh, uh, you know, uh, you know, I wish I wish we had a password vault or a password manager. You know, it's going to be a priority for me and my team to help them with that. I think if we start helping them or, you know, getting some wins, they might see us more as a partner, someone that will work with them instead of just being a speed bump and, and kind of getting in the way of their operations because we're adding controls to their process. Yeah, yeah. It, you know, it makes me think of just the, from a human perspective, right? Like we will take clients through different workshops and stuff like that when it comes to this, just to kind of um, look at their perspective or, or even widen their perspective on things. And, and it's, it's fascinating how different people within the same organization can be getting the same message from leadership, but their perception of what they should do about it or how they should handle it is completely different. And, and it just, communication is such a hard and like ever learning slash evolving skill set, right? And, and it's, uh, it's difficult, but it makes me think about uh, the method of duplication. And I forgot who who came up with this, but I think it was like a, a no, not a Nobel Prize winning, but a, an award winning teacher out of New York. And he talked about the method of duplication when you're communicating is that, you know, the, the most effective way to communicate is to to tell somebody or, or communicate something to somebody and then ask them what they heard in return. It's like, okay, what did you hear? Repeat back to me because, um, you know, nine times out of 10, they're going to, there's going to be some sort of a tweak to what they heard and there's going to be some misalignment there. Uh, you know, and, and then when you're, when you're going in there and it like, I love how you're not calling it an assessment, right? Because when people hear the word assessment, you know, like I think of audit, right. And it's like an IRS audit or, it's like nobody likes that. It just automatically comes with a negative connotation, but it's like you're kind of leading in in a different way, and, and and I like that. And it makes me think about security awareness training, right? It's like a lot of people just hate having to do security awareness training, but I know that some organizations are really leveraging like like fun security awareness training, and like it could be humor infused, whatever. What are you guys doing to kind of help? from a security awareness training perspective. Yes. So, so like you said, yes, you being a financial institution, we have those uh, trainings that are mandatory. You know, our regulators will come in and want to ask, have they done their GLBA training, which is Graham Leach Bliley. Uh, and so we try to separate the two. We try to distinctively state this one system is is mandatory 
because our regulators, our examiners will look for these for completion. And we use a totally different system for, you know, I kind of call that as, a, as our uh, uh, mandatory training. And then I really try to focus on calling the other one just uh, security awareness, right? I try to take mm-hmm. the training aspect out of it. This is our okay. security security awareness uh, materials. And the approach that we've taken is we do we do monthly videos and we stick to some guardrails. We stick to that that uh, monthly it has to be a video. It has okay. to be less than five minutes. Nice. And it cannot be a PowerPoint type of presentation. There's going to be no quiz at the end. There's going to be no um, reporting out on uh, or tracking down certain individuals because they have not completed it. You know, we're flat out yeah. saying these are not mandatory, but these are fun. We think you'll enjoy them. Like you said, we, we focused on something that is comedic. Um, it's, it's told in a way of a story. And for example, the, some of the, the awareness videos that we've used, it's, it's kind of reminds me of the show, the office. So mm. it's in an office environment and you have certain scenes or scenarios playing out, but they're really driving the point of a security matter or a security issue. Uh, you know, for example, it could be, it could be something as a, uh, you know, one person uh, posting too much data on, on social media about uh, potentially landing a big client, you know, a sales meeting. Mm. And then they get into the, it get in, it gets into the funny aspects of why you shouldn't do that. And something goes wrong with that sales lead. You know, it kind of is like a little three, three to five minute uh, TV series, you know, that's scripted and the actors are great. And uh, that's, that's one thing that we've done so far for many years. And, and I often do get compliments from individuals throughout the bank saying that they enjoyed that last security video where they even remember the names of the characters and the security awareness mm-hmm. materials. And they'll state that that person's funny or it does remind them of so-and-so in the office. So it starts generating that conversation amongst them in their own departments or their own teams. So I I think those have been effective. And like I mentioned, it's not mandatory. We do look at the numbers just to see the completion rates. They're they're not great, but we always stay within the 40, 50%. So we feel we're reaching reaching half of our employees um, and we hope to reach the other 50%, you know, just by word of mouth. Right. We start you start uh, getting other employees involved in it. They're going to share it with their coworkers. They're, they might be laughing or giggling in their at their desk or their office. And people might want to know, what, what are you laughing at? What are you watching there? <laughs> Type of thing. So that's our approach. That's one way of doing that's it. That's interesting. Um, you know, when I think about human nature, right, it's it's, a, you know, I would say the majority of humans, they don't like to be like forced to do something they don't want to do. Right. And I would, I'm curious as to, you know, maybe what some research says out there on, on approaching it that way of not saying this is mandatory, you have to do it more so of like this, this is here for the organization and for your benefit. It's fun. Hey, you know, take a peek at it, you know, when you have time. Um, it's just not, not a, it's a less dictatorship approach to, right. you know, for, exactly, to awareness, yes. yeah. so to speak. Yeah. So, so, so I guess the, the way that you and the organization handles this type of stuff, do, can you think of any success stories of how maybe some of this awareness has helped a potential security breach, threat, anything like that? Yes. Yeah, you know, one, one example comes to mind, and, and this will be sort of a, 
you know, it has a good ending to the story, you know, where it makes it a success. But uh, we often we we think a, a big a big threat for our employees is you know that that one phishing email, whether it's a, a invoice type scam, um, uh, uh, or you know CEO type of a, a a fish that goes out to employees. So so we focus on some of those as well for employees. You know we do a lot of those type of, of uh, uh, training videos and awareness materials or security tips that we send out uh, biweekly as well. So. Uh, and then one thing that we all, always harp on is, you know, if there's if there's ever anything suspicious or there's an incident, you know, send it over to information security. We'll take a look, even if you think it's nothing, uh, it's nothing serious, or if you feel bad that you made a mistake, you know, we're just gonna we're just gonna help you. So, yeah, one one quick story: we did have some fictitious invoice emails that did make it past our web filters. You know, these are our, our email uh, security gateway. And we did have one employee that did click on the link and started to enter their username and password in this uh, fake 365 uh, uh, login page. Mm. Uh, as soon as the individual, you know, did that, she she felt uneasy about it. And she quickly picked up the phone, sent an email to information security and said, you know what, as soon as I as soon as I enter my username and password, she says, I, I just felt that, you know, pit in my stomach that I should not be doing this. And. I remembered yeah. some of the trainings that you guys have provided and, um, and, you know, uh, to send the notification to InfoSec. So even though I, I did that, I wanted to let you guys know, wanted to let you and your nice. team know right away that I did this. So, um, you know, my team was quickly able to, uh, uh, start looking into that email. We realized it went out to the entire organization, uh, going back to multi-factor authentication, you know, any, any access even to our banking systems, we have multi-factor uh, on that. So we did see the the fraudster try to log into to her uh, Outlook.com account, but because we have MFA, we could see nice. that those were not successful. You know, those were not the 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 attack was not successful. So yeah, that's why I say it was a good success story. She she remembered her training. She remembered that something didn't feel right. You know, let me just let InfoSec know it might be something bad. It might not be something bad. Uh, yeah. So, so, and the third thing is she reported it. You know, she followed yeah, our incident yeah, reporting uh, communications or procedures where we just say, is there anything out there you have a question on? We'll, we'll be happy to look at it. You know, we won't, we won't ever um, receive those requests the, as if it's a burden or extra work or anything like that. I think me and my team are, are good and, uh, uh, assisting our end users. So that's one success story. You know, it did yeah. happen here at bank, but it was able to be thwarted, you know, going back to the MFA and the security awareness, you know, materials in there that, that helped this individual. Yeah. It makes me think about project Aristotle. Have you heard of that project that Google did? Uh, it sounds familiar, but it's not, not it was, coming to mind. Is it with the YubiKeys? Yeah. Uh, it was, mm, I don't think so. It was years back, okay. was, uh, maybe five years ago. And, what they were doing, they studied hundreds of teams and they were looking for like, what, what is it that makes a high performing team or like the best teams in the world? Oh, okay. And the, like the single biggest determining factor of that was the most crucial element of high performing great teams was an environment of psychological safety. And so the fact that your team member made a mistake and basically threw themselves under the bus and said, hey, I think I just made a major mistake when a lot of times people would be scared that depending on leadership, what the environment is like, 
you know, it speaks to the need for that psychological safety that if they don't feel comfortable, they think they're going to get fired because they made that mistake and they hide it. That's way worse. And so it's like, you know, it's creating that environment that people feel safe to, Hey, I messed up. Like I need to let you know so we can resolve the issue. It, it's huge. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. So, you know, from a human perspective, um, you know, stats say that like 97% of security breaches come from some sort of a human vector, human element, right? Uh, you know, and, and the, the business world is changing, the economy is changing, technology is changing at a rapid pace, right? And so there, it, it drives a lot of change. And typically humans are adverse to change, right? If there's too much change, it, it could create fear. If it's coming at them too fast, they could start to get overwhelmed. They could start to burn out, right? Can you talk a little bit about, you know, the importance of, of how you, we can approach, you know, or how we can ensure that our people aren't burning out, so to speak, and, you know, increasing the risk of making bad decisions from, because of burnout. Yes. Yeah. So this is, this is an area where, uh, you know, myself with my team, you know, I want to make sure, like you just said, uh, uh, I think information security teams, cybersecurity teams, they're analyzing a lot of data. There might be a lot of alerts, a lot of information coming at them. Uh, we want to make sure that they, they are, uh, you know, they have that mental wellness and they're, they're, they're rested, they're sharp. They can make those decisions. They have that, the, the appropriate judgment. Um, so, you know, one thing that I, that I try to do definitely is, you know, balance, balance out the work, uh, within my team. I try not to go to certain individuals for one thing, uh, uh, and try to really, you know, I'm, I don't really keep it as a formal, um, how many things are you doing versus that person or project. But like I said, just try to balance the work across the team members and, um, we, we do also rely on our third parties. You know, we have some managed security providers or managed service providers that we rely on. And I, I constantly always, I think technologists or information security professionals uh, tend to want to resolve the issue themselves and they tend not to ask for help. And then that might lead for burnout. So constantly reminding my team, we have these resources, we have these third parties, you know, send it to them, maybe get another, another fresh set of eyes looking at it you know, ask for their help. That's why we pay them, uh, ask them for their help that, that, that they'll help us out with this. And then plain old, just, you know, trying to make the job fun, uh, trying to not make it more of a directive of me barking out orders or commands, but just, just making it fun, uh, for our employees. And I think that just comes down to that leader, uh, getting to know their employees and, and knowing them a little bit on a personal level. You know, I can say that I do know I do know the, uh, you know, I have a small team, but, you know, I know the names of their kids. You know, I know primarily how old they are, their significant others, what they like to do outside of work. Um, we have one team member right now that's on vacation and, and, you know, she's still, you know, sending us little messages on teams of what she's doing on her, uh, you know, adventurous vacation right now. But so that tells me, you know, they, they, they enjoy do being here. Uh, yep. it's not a burden to be here at work and, and we try not to make it always about work. You know, we might, yep. we might add in a, a happy hour every now and then to get to just unwind and talk and laugh and, you know, joke around. It's, it's, uh, uh, we definitely, it's very, it's very light in the work area. It's, uh, we like to laugh and joke around, like I mentioned, 
so I think trying to keep it at that level really helps stain, you know, that, you know, mental, mental wellness that'll then just lead to better work productivity across the board, better corroboration, you know, better communication, willingness to work within a team. Yeah. And it's, it, you know, I just drew a blank on what I was thinking, but I was, it made me think of something, it'll come back to me, but you know, as far as with all the change coming at you guys, right. And just the world in general, the businesses in general, is there a way that you kind of like gauge when it's just like, it's getting to be too much change or there's just too much coming at the team? Like, is there a way that you can identify that or gauge it in some way? Yes. You know, I, I, and I think it goes back to, um, uh, like you mentioned, c- communicating earlier, you mentioned that. And I think just, just n- knowing your team, I think if you know them a little bit more on a personal level, you can kind of feel when they're, when they're frustrated, when they're overworked, when they're, and, and coming out of the years that many organizations have had with COVID back to 2020, uh, you know, 2020, 2021, some of 22 was really a burden. You know, there was really, really hard to find different ways to get certain things done. Projects that may have taken a year, you know, had to be done within three months or two to three months Mm -hmm. because of the state of COVID it was bringing about. So uh, I think keeping a close eye on your team, looking for some of those cues of when you see them frustrated or, or when you might see uh, maybe a mistake or a thought that it's like, yeah, you know, it's kind of odd for you to, 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 you know, usually don't make that error, you know, is is everything okay? Um, You know, one thing that, that I set out this year was, um, from a project standpoint, it was going to be nothing new. We weren't going to do any, anything new, no implementations. Hmm. We already have a lot of tools, a lot of resources. We are going to look at what we already have and how can we improve it? Is there some functionality that we have not taken advantage of? You know, is it every project has those little uh, leftovers, right? Where it's like, well, we couldn't get to it on the project, but we're going to fix that as soon as we go live type of thing. So what are, what are all those things that those leftovers that we haven't accomplished? So uh, this year was that, was that year of just getting better with what we have. And and next year is going to be a continuation of that because uh, even though we had no new efforts, we still support the business areas. We still support it and all of their efforts. And uh, you know, COVID, you know, we still deal with some of that a little bit here, but uh, financial institutions you know we're dealing with just like any other organization what's going on with with uh, the economy and and, and inflation mm-hmm. and those sort of things so uh we still have a lot of work <laughs> so oh, yeah. we're trying not to Everybody just does. add more to our plate yes <laughs> yeah and i like the way you put that leftovers right instead of saying waste right because there's there's definitely a lot of waste that organizations with different technology tools or just tools being handed over to operations that don't get implemented right but it it's right. a really good way to frame it. It's like, hey, let's look at let's look at the resources that we currently have and making sure that we're using them to their full potential, and that maybe they're spreading out through the organization in a productive, you know, way to where we're getting the best bang for our buck for investing in these tools and these technologies, right? Because yes. like so many times, organizations just want to keep buying more and more. I need more tools. I need more tools. I need more tools. But then you know, you come in we somebody comes in and does like an audit of like the technical spend 
and what they're using and they find out they're overspending on all these subscriptions and you know different right. departments are buying similar technologies when they can kind of co consolidate and just using one so yeah that's i like that framing on it it's let's look at our our leftovers and see yes. if we have something <laughs> to eat there so to speak mm -hmm. Uh, and then I remember what I was going to say earlier, and it, it, it's you were talking about like your your team member that was out or that is out or was out and they were kind of sharing their vacation with the rest of the team. And it made me think of friendship, right? Because there's a lot of there's a lot of stats that show that if people have friends at work, they're more likely to be engaged. They're more likely to stay long term, right? They're less likely to want to leave because they have those relationships. And, and it's important. You know, I 100 percent believe it's important for leadership. To, to have those connections with the team and understand. So I love how you're, so you understand who your people are and their families and all that kind of stuff, because that, that goes a long way. And, you know, studies like Gallup show that 70% of the U S workforce is not engaged at work. And I really, because it, it, it's because of the lack of connection, it's the yes. lack of uh, whether that's caring, you know, they don't care or it's, they're just too busy, but anyway, you look at it, it's the lack of that human connection that causes, I think a lot of those issues throughout the teams. Yeah, so that's good stuff. So we're we're getting a, a close to time here. So um, you know, I'll just ask you one final question, Roman. In in your opinion, what technology do you think the world needs that doesn't exist yet? Oh wow, that's a very yeah, that's a very <laughs> it's a very loaded question. Let me see. I think uh, I think the technology the world needs. Uh, you know, today that, that probably doesn't exist out there. Um, you know, it is, it is concerning with, with where we're headed, uh, with artificial intelligence and, you know, deep fakes and, mm. you know, what news source is real, what isn't, um, type of thing. And, you know, it's something I see, uh, local news stations, you know, where they, they do truth or fiction type of thing and debunked mm. certain information that, that might be out there in the world. So, I mean, I, you know, I would, I would love for there to be a type of, uh, technology that can quickly sort out, you know, the truth from fiction type of thing for us instead of someone trying to do their own research and, and forming their own opinion on what they find online. And, and just because, uh, one new site or one blogger or whatever may be saying something. So, uh, you know, I think that that is, that is one thing that aside from banking, but just, uh, looking at our, uh, you know, our world, our country, and, and how that cyber warfare has been coming up and, and kind of getting just downright a little bit dangerous, you know, the disinformation, the inaccurate information out there and, yeah. and how it spreads so easily across to certain individuals. So, um, uh, you know, I'm not sure if that makes sense, but some, some yeah, sort of technology no, that can quickly, you know, be able to sort out that factor fiction for, for, for end users. Yeah, that would that would be powerful. And it makes me think about when I got COVID the first time, you know, I don't even know when it was anymore, 2019, <laughs> 2020. But but I was, you know, quarantined for two weeks. I had it pretty bad. I probably had a fever for like two weeks. And um, I started like, like just hanging, like looking at social media. I typically try to stay away from it. But it was during, I think, the election or it was probably during the election. And I was seeing... Um, just very biased information about one political party and just bashing and presenting the other side as evil, like, like pure evil. Right. And, and I, after a couple of days, I was like, what is going on here? Why am I not seeing the other side of that? 
And so I started doing some digging and I started searching specifically for the other political party. And then it flopped. It actually was like painting the other side as like, you know, angels and the other one is like evil. And I was like, what is going on here? So I started doing some digging and then I found the Netflix series called the, um, oh man, what is it called? There's a Netflix series that talks about like the, the social dilemma is what it's called. Oh, okay. And yeah. it's talking about the algorithms that are built into these things to basically get you hooked on staying on these platforms. Yeah. Because for every minute or every second you stay on the platform, they're getting advertisement dollars, right? Because they're, they're getting you hooked. And so they're, the algorithms are feeding you what you want to see and what are they're learning that are going to keep you like scrolling what my wife would call scrolly moly. Right. And <laughs> um, yeah. And so, it, it it was like mind boggling, but that is going to get crazy powerful and crazy rampant with stuff like chat GPT and, and, you know, yes. deep fakes, like you're saying, because the technology is getting so advanced, it's almost hard to tell, like, and then it, they'll make it entertaining and they just get you hooked on watching it. Right. And so, you know, that's going to be a huge problem. And, you know, I understand, like, we understand a lot about this stuff, but like, just normal everyday people that are not as ingrained in technology as we are. I, it's concerning about yes. like, because I, I've literally seen literally extended family members that are like livid about some of the stuff they're seeing, but they think it's all completely true. Like they don't know how powerful these technologies are and misleading they are. And yes. it's, it's scary. Uh, some of the things that I've seen in my, in my own research. So it's, mm -hmm. I 100% agree with you. There needs to be some sort of technology that acts as a filter that maybe gives us some sort of a data science platform to give us the probability of its authenticity, so to speak. And I, I think yes. that, you know, that's definitely going to get developed by somebody, but it's, I think, you know, the sooner, the better. Hopefully. Uh, yeah. Yeah. So Roman really, you know, really appreciate you joining us today and sharing your thoughts. I, I know Jefferson bank has some great opportunities out there right now. Can, can you tell us a little bit about that? Yes, yes, I can. Yeah, we have we have a few open positions. Unfortunately, none none on my team on the information security or cybersecurity at the moment. Um, but our IT side does have a network uh, uh, operations engineer position open. They work very close with the InfoSec team. Uh, Jefferson Bank's been growing, so it's a crucial, vital position within our organization. We have some BSA AML. Uh, investigator type of, of positions open. BSA is Bank Secrecy Act. AML is anti-money laundering. Um, so that that's another critical, important area of our bank that also works very close with information security uh, uh, as well. So when sometimes they have their investigations, we collaborate and help each other out in that regard. So those are just some of the two or three positions that are open right now in our bank. Of course, we have some other banking roles, uh, teller, or, you know, relationship banker that, that are always very useful and helpful in us, you know, carrying out our operations. Um, but that that's what's open at the moment uh, for us here at Jefferson Bank. Nice. Perfect. So, you know, I appreciate that. And, you know, Tech Human li listeners, be sure to check out Roman's work on LinkedIn, you know, follow him on social media and check out Jefferson Bank if you're interested in, in one of these roles that Roman's talking about. Uh, there will be website links and social handles in the show description. And, you know, Roman, as a leader in tech, um, promises the last question, what it, what's like one piece of small, actionable advice that 
you know, you could give to emerging cybersecurity leaders? You know, the, the one thing that I would say that I, I really try to carry out this trait myself is, is, you know, being an active listener. You know, I'm, I'm, mm. I like the facilitative leadership type of framework and, and all of that and how to, how to have an effective team. Um, and I'm just going to go back to, I heard my, my, my son and daughter's karate instructor the other day, uh, laid it out plain and simple. He said, we have, you have two ears, you have one mouth, so you should listen better <laughs> than yeah, you should. Yeah. So I think that is one trait that leaders, they, they should listen to their employees. They should mm -hmm. listen to their team. And that just kind of, if you want to be successful in cybersecurity, information security, I think having having a great team you need to have a great team behind you it's not it's not all just myself carrying out this program or this mission of the bank it's it's the team behind me you know i think we would have a successful great program like like we do with our team so uh, active listening listening to your team members yeah. will go a long way that's huge yeah that's definitely a a major part of communication right and and i've been blessed to have a lot of training in that space that i actually leave I actually lead like, you know, executive leadership groups through levels of listening, right? In a strategic way, basically helping people to understand how to effectively listen. And there's multiple levels of listening at a very deep level. And we don't have time to get into it on this episode, but, but I, I am planning on recording an episode that is basically on the yeah. science of listening uh, yes. to go very, be very cool. for an entire episode. So, yeah. So really appreciate your time. Roman is great talking with you. Thank you for all the insights. Uh, don't forget, uh, listeners, don't forget to help your fellow tech humans share this podcast and follow me on LinkedIn at Javier Guerra 360. Uh, see you next time on the Tech Human Experience. The Tech Human Experience.